0: The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. If you have your Bibles or your apps, Genesis chapter 3, open your Bibles, turn your apps on to Genesis, the third chapter. So We continue our Amago day. Series. In the creation account, the crowning achievement of God is the making of man in his image, the Latin words in his image are Amago Day. That's our series. Since all mankind is created in the image of God, We respect all life, life in the womb and life outside the womb. Today has been designated by Churches Across America as Pro-Life Sunday, and the reason we are pro-life, the reason we stand against abortion, is because of the Imago Day. because that baby in the womb is created in the image of God. Watch this video with me, and then we will talk about it.
1: The creator of life. A Bible says, Before I found you in a womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I stepped you apart. Jeremiah 1 5 For you were created, my enveloped being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully. And one free made, your works is wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you, when now it's made in a secret place. And that it's grown together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my one formed body. All the days were named for me. It was written in your book for one of them came to be. Psalm 149, 14 from 16. For I know the parents I have for you, cares the Lord. Parents passed for you, for not to harm you. Parents to give you hope in the future. Jeremiah 29, 11.
0: So this morning as we talk about biblical manhood, if you're a gentleman here and you have paid for an abortion, forced a girlfriend to have an abortion, I pray today is a day of repentance for you and restoration to the Savior to be restored. If you are one of our ladies here who has undergone an abortion in the past, many of you have dealt with that issue, some of you have not, I pray that you'll come to the Savior, seek His forgiveness for taking that life and be restored to Him. And if you're a pregnant young lady here and uh, are contemplating what to do, let me encourage you, if you'll come to me, we have families here who will lovingly adopt that baby and take care of that baby and be involved in the life of that baby. So if you're in that situation as a young lady, or maybe you're a young man here, your girlfriend is not here, and that's the situation, uh, would you see me? And I will make sure that that happens today. I'll make sure that that takes place. Uh, Hope Pregnancy Center, when you walked in, you received a bookmark. If you didn't receive it, you can get one on the way out. Uh, Hope Pregnancy Center is in our communities, an opportunity for us to serve in this area. The church has been silent too much and too long. Also, concerned citizens of Texas, a number of our folks are involved in that ministry. Uh, They are more active uh, than—or more publicly active in certain ways, and so there's an opportunity to be involved in that ministry. So I would encourage you to consider the reason we are pro-life, the reason we do not believe in euthanasia is because of the Imago Day. because— that life is precious in God, made in the image of God, created by God, and therefore we value that life. And so there are those in our community right now, our community of believers here that hurt because of this, and so we intercede for them and for one another. Amen? Amen. Now, I pray that you'll find a way to be involved in this great cause. Um, And since all of mankind is created in the image of God, we are pro-life, we are not proponents of euthanasia, and since all mankind is created in the image of God, we respect all people regardless of gender, race, ethnicity, socioeconomic, or cultural backgrounds, except for Aggies and Longhorns. You know, we're all created in the image of God, but the fall changed everything. Everything changed in the fall. The image of God in man was not destroyed, but it was shattered. We have these two pieces of pottery up here every single week through these series to remind you that this is Gary DeSalva. When you look at this, you think of me and you think of yourself because we were all shattered, but we are not destroyed. We're not destroyed. We're still useful to God. We can give light. We can resemble and represent our Father. That's what we do with the image of God in us. And so we have been shattered, but we're not destroyed. And so this morning, we're going to deal specifically with men. Actually, we're going to deal with men and women at the beginning of the sermon, and then I'm going to look at three things specific to men. So I understand we ran out of bulletins a long time ago. We'll get more printed. So if you happen to have one of those, I'm going to give you the answers now. You can write them down, because some of you are obsessive-compulsive. I'm not going to get to the end, okay? I'm telling you right now, we're limited. So we're going to look at man as protector. Man as provider and man as pursuer. So if you look at the bottom part of your outline, we're going to look at that. The restored man is a man who uh, is a protector, provider, and also pursuer. Now, ladies, I want you to hear me. I'm not saying you do not protect, okay? I'm going to say that at the beginning. I have seen National Geographic on mama bears. You protect, I have also seen mama bears on baseball fields, in churches, in schoolhouses. I have seen mama bears. I've seen my wife be a mama bear to our kids, and for that, I am grateful. So I want to clear that at the beginning. I understand stereotypes. I understand all the issues, not all. I understand issues of gender identity in our culture right now. So uh, there's some landmines I could step on. So uh, would you pray for me and for our guys that will be preaching over the weeks ahead? Next week, you've got a real privilege. I, I'm gone. When I heard that thing on the men's conference, I realized I've not registered for the men's conference. That's awful. The pastor hasn't registered. I apologize. I'm going to do that. I'm gone. Next week, you have Charles Cooper here, and he's going to speak on marriage. And so, uh, if you are with us at the men's conference, I, I don't know the dude there, but I'm going to tell you, Charles Cooper is going to bring home the goods. People ask me on Sunday, how are you doing, Pastor Gary? I said, I don't know. Let me know after. I think it's pretty good, but you let me know after. I'm going to tell you a week ahead of time, it'll be good, okay? Cooper's here, so uh, you'll enjoy him. So, understand stereotypes. understand gender issues. Um, so, let's pray together. Father, we intercede on behalf of men and women who have been involved in abortion. We recognize choices were made, many regrettable choices now that they've come to know Christ. There are young ladies and young men here who struggle with that right now. Father, I pray blessing over them and forgiveness for them. Father, there may be a pregnant young lady here or a young man who found out his girlfriend or significant other's pregnant. God, would you allow them to choose life today? Life because of who you are. And Father, would you guard my words and would you teach us today about who we are in you and how men and women can be redeemed and restored in Christ's name. Amen. When God created man and woman, he created us in his image, but he created us very different. Amen. I mean, I love the fact that my wife is different than I am. Bev is down here. She brings femininity and a feminine touch to our household, to our home that I do not have, I do not see, I do not experience. And I am grateful. Most of the time, uh, those differences or uh, blessings, sometimes they can be frustrations, can be frustrations. Uh, We are different. Physiologically, our makeup is different. Emotionally, our makeup is different. We're just different. And you're saying, Gary? Well, give me some examples. Well, let me let me do that. Uh, some examples of how we are different. Um, when if Laura, Suzanne, Deborah, and Rose go out for lunch, they will call each other Laura, Suzanne, Deborah, and Rose. If Ch- Mike, Charlie, Bob, and John go out, they will officially call one another Fat Boy, Godzilla, Peanut Head, Scrappy, and not be offended at all. Okay? Can I get amen out of that, guys. I, I mean, you know, call me which want. My nickname in college was Fat Boy. That's what they called me. Okay. Uh, I, I was, when I ran the 40, I was so slow, they didn't pull out a clock, they pulled out a calendar. I mean, it took me forever to get down there. So uh, that's, that's what it was. Um, a difference between men and women. A woman marries a man expecting he will change, but he doesn't. Doesn't happen. Uh, a man marries a woman expecting that she won't change, and she is always changing. Always. I, and I love that about my wife. It frustrates me at times, but most time, I love it about her. Um, A man has seven items in his bathroom, a toothbrush, a comb, I've only got six, uh, a razor, shaving cream, bar soap, stack of magazines, and a towel, the average number of items in a woman's bathroom, 337. It's like a jungle in there trying to get in and out of that thing. What is all that stuff for? One day, I I, I, I watched Bev do something, and uh, she was using this contraption here. Now, to me, that looks like an instrument of torture. How many of you ladies, ladies use one of those this morning? Let me see your hand. I can tell the difference from up here. But with one eye, I can tell. It was absolutely amazing. I mean, it's remarkable how that eyelash is so curly right now. Um, so here's what I'm going to do. Okay, here's the stereotype part. So ladies, here's your opportunity. I'm going to tell you uh, some advantages of being a man. In two weeks, when I'm back, I'm going to talk about, uh, I'm going to address women, so ladies, this next week, I, I need you to send me emails next two weeks about reasons why it's better to be a woman, okay? Since I'm not one, I can't do that, but you can, so send them to me. So, But I'm a dude, so here's the reasons why it's an advantage to be a man. You can be showered and ready in 10 minutes because you don't have to shave below your neck and everything in your face stays its original color. <laughs> uh, I mean, really, we, we get in and out, and uh, Bev, well, it takes a little time. Um, reason to be good good to be a man. You can watch a game in silence with your buddy for hours without thinking, he must be mad at me. (laughs) This afternoon, sit your wife next to you. Don't say a word for three hours and see what happens. I mean, it doesn't work that way, does it? I mean, that's just not the way we're wired. Uh, You can go to the bathroom without a support group, (laughs) and every man says, amen. I, I don't want to know what happens in there. I really don't want to know. It's like, sheesh. Another reason why it's better to be a man is uh, your pals can be trusted never to trap you with, so, babe, you notice anything different? You know, Bev looks at that. I start praying, God, tell me what it is. Tell me what it is. I start new new hairdo. No, that's not it. New blouse. It's sometimes new shoes, probably. That's what it is. And, and I say, babe, you got to help me. i got one eye. you got to tell me what it is. I can't see it. Okay. But we're different. I mean, we are different, and, and, and it's great that we're different. Viva la difference. I love that my bride is different than I am. Just love that. Love it in every aspect of it. Sometimes it's a frustration. She gets frustrated with me. I with her at times. So ladies, send me your ideas. Why is it better to be a woman than a man? Here's the challenge. We're different, but God has called us to be one. For this reason, a man shall leave his mother and father, cleave to his wife, and the two become what? One. One. And so that's the battle. Now, Adam and Eve, they had it better than us. I mean, Adam could really look at Eve and say, hey, babe, you're the only one for me. I mean, he could, he could look at her and say, hey, babe, all these other guys around here, they're a bunch of animals. He could say that, okay? But, but, but think about it. They're in the garden. There's no sin, no selfishness, no anger, no abuse, no shame, no blame, no mother-in-law to be compared to, ladies. I mean, it's perfect, isn't it? It's perfect. But then something happened. Sin entered the world. And now there is sin, there is selfishness, there is manipulation, there is anger, there is blame, there is shame. There are mother-in-laws and all that happens. And the battle to become one is a struggle. And not only in marriage, if you're a single person out there, in every relationship, in the church. Because, you know, when Jesus is praying the true Lord's Prayer... You know, most people say the Lord's prayer is our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, Matthew chapter 6. That's not the Lord's prayer. That's the disciples' prayer. That's Jesus teaching disciples how to pray. The true Lord's prayer is in John 17. Jot down John 17, take a look at it later. In John 17, Jesus is praying to the Father. He's speaking to the Father. And in John 17, verse 11 and 22, 11 and you double it 22, John 17, 11 and 22, Jesus prays the same thing. He says to his Father, he says, make them one, referring to the disciples and us, make them one as we are one. Now, how are God and the Father one? They're part of the same Godhead, part of the same Trinity, part of the same person. And so here's the battle—not only in marriage, but in relationships as brothers and sisters in Christ, relationships as friends, relationships as husbands and wives. We are called to be one, and so we struggle in marriage, and we struggle in church. We struggle. It's because sin entered the world. The fall came, and we have—we have selfishness, we have sin, we have shame, we have blame, we have manipulation. You name it, in every relationship, we have it. So the Amigo Day has been shattered. Can it be restored? Can it be restored? can be restored in you, restored in me. And if it can be, how do, we, how do we start with that? And that's really what I want to spend the first few minutes of our message talking about today. I want to talk about man and woman being redeemed. You see, when the fall came, Satan achieved his purpose. His purpose was to separate man from God, and his purpose was to separate man from woman. And so look up here for one second. We cannot be right this way as husbands and wives, as sons and daughters, as moms and dads, as friends, as, as brothers and sisters in Christ. We cannot be right this way until we are right this way with the Father. Otherwise, I can stand up here and just teach you five ways to improve your marriage, six ways to be a, guy, a good man, and seven ways to be a 21st, 21st century woman. That's just behavior modification. What we're saying is we have a problem that we can't fix. The problem is sin. The problem in the fall is that the image of God and man was shattered, sin entered the world, and we have a problem. that, that The great divide between man and God was achieved by the serpent, and the result of the fall is we're separated from God, and we're separated from one another. And it's a problem we can't fix. But God in his grace and God in his mercy, a God of love, all the way back in the garden, gave man hope. He gave us hope. Look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. It's the first picture of hope we have in the scriptures. The the fall has taken place. The curses are being uttered against man, woman, and the serpent. And and so to the serpent, he says, beginning in verse 14, because you've done this, you're cursed more than all the cattle and every beast of the field. In your belly you shall crawl. You shall eat dust all of your life and the days of your life. If you see a snake, they crawl on their bellies because of the curse. Okay. Then look at the next verse. I will put enmity between you, the serpent, and the woman, that's Eve, and between your seed, that is those who come from you, and her seed, he shall bruise you on the head, and you shall, he shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. This is called the proto-uagelion. Proto means first, uagelion, good news, the first good news. What, what is being said there in the midst of that curse is that there is hope. The hope is this, while while Christ will, be, while Christ will, will suffer uh, for, his, for our sins, while he will receive a crippling blow, Satan will receive a crushing blow. You see, Christ will receive a crippling blow. That's what the Passion Week is about. But Christ overcame sin and death, so Satan received a crushing blow. Christ a crippling blow, Satan a crushing blow, because Christ overcomes sin and death. And so there's the first picture of hope. He says, in the, in the millennial ahead, that there would come one, the proto the, the first good news, that There will be come, there's one who, who's going who's to crush you. And then there's a second picture of hope. It's found in verse 21. If you look at Genesis 3.21, and the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. He said, how is that a picture of hope? How's that a picture of hope? The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. Well, when Adam and Eve fell, it says they were shamed and naked, and they covered themselves. What did they cover themselves with? (coughs) With with what? Leaves. Leaves. With leaves. You know how some people press uh, leaves in their Bible? A little boy picked up his mom's Bible, and uh, a leaf fell out, and he said, Mama, Mama, Adam's suit fell out of my Bible. So Adam took a lifeless, inanimate object and uh, used it to cover he and Eve. God took a life-filled, animate object, sacrificed it, and made a covering for Adam and Eve. Do you see the difference? Blood had to be shed. The Father shed the blood of an animal to cover Adam and Eve. And so my friends, when you read about the the sacrifices in Leviticus, you read in the first chapter of Leviticus, the first first seven chapters, you read about the Levitical system and you read uh, for the individual, he brings a sin offering, he brings an animal, the animal blood is shed. God's shed blood in the garden to cover Adam and Eve, that the blood is shed in the sacrificial system. When you bring a sin offering, you bring an animal, the blood is shed. Then on Yom Kippur, Yom is a Hebrew word for day, Kippur atonement. On the day of atonement, Leviticus chapter 17, the blood of a goat is shed. It's placed on the mercy seat by a high priest chosen on that day, and the sins of the nation are postponed until the true shedder of blood would come. And so sin offering, you have individuals' uh, uh, atonement through the blood, On Yom Kippur, you have the offering of blood for the nation for another year, and they celebrate it annually, and then you look at the cross of Christ, and you see the ultimate shedding of blood for our sins. It's what Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, looked to. It's what we look back upon, and we recognize it through the shedding of blood, through the sacrifice that's made, that there's a hope and the possibility of restoration in Jesus. That's what the Savior has done for us. That's what he's done. God took the life of an animal. A death occurred so that Adam and Eve, so their shame could be covered, that is grace. And that's what he's done. That's what he's done for each of us. The day of atonement, one year, the sacrificial every year for the nation, uh, the sacrificial system, what would be a continual shedding of blood for the individual. And then ultimately the cross, the blood of Jesus is the ultimate covering for guilt and shame. And through that we can be redeemed and we can be restored through the cleansing of sin. That's called expiation in theological terms. But God does more than that. He didn't just forgive us. He does more than that. He gives us His righteousness. In Romans chapter 5, verse 19, for it's through the one man's disobedience, that's Adam's disobedience, many were made sinners. All of us became sinners. We were in Adam. When Adam fell, we fell. Even so, through the obedience of one, that is Christ, many will be made righteous. It's through the blood of Christ that we are made righteous. He not only forgives us of our sins, but he gives us his righteousness. In 2 Corinthians five twenty-one, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so we might become the righteousness of God in him. Well, we are now clothed in the righteousness of God, and you say, Gary, what does that have to do with biblical manhood and womanhood? Everything if you look at the word righteousness, scratch off the E-O-U-S-N-E-S-S, if you want to understand what that word means, it means right. It means to be made in right standing before God, not just for eternity, but right now as well. And so here's how it applies to biblical manhood, womanhood, because the righteousness of Christ has been given to me. I no longer have to live in sin, walk in sin, walk in selfishness, walk in uh, not caring. But now I, I can love as Jesus loved. I can serve as Jesus served. I can care as Jesus served. I can live out the life that Jesus has given me in his righteousness. It's called imputed righteousness. He is imputed. He has given to us his righteousness. And therefore we now have the power to live as new creations in Christ. Old things pass away, new things come. We are redeemed and our lives are changed. Amen. But I've got a problem. Even though all that is true and that's the baseline, that's where we got to start. That's the foundation. Otherwise it's just behavior modification, how to be a better person. But Jesus gives us a heart transformation. But i got a problem. Even though I'm redeemed, seek to walk with Christ, still I hurt my wife. Most of the time it's very unintentional. Occasionally it's intentional. I'm a sinner, just like you're a sinner. Most of the time it's unintentional, sometimes not. Sometimes I'll pop off and say something I shouldn't say. Um, I, I love, we love our grandkids. We get as much time with our grandkids as we can. That, they were with us sometime last year. I was responsible for getting them to bed, and, and, and we've got six grandkids, uh, 10 and under. And so when they're together, you remember going to grandpa's house? I mean, you get rowdy with the cousins, right? I mean, you're all together, you're hanging out, they're sleeping in one big room, they're rowdy, it's my job to quiet them, and you know how it goes, you water them, you de-water them, you water them, you de-water them, and I, I mean, you know, the, the youngest ones especially, they're back and forth, you read them a story, they want to hear more, and, and finally it's time, okay, that's it, guys, you're going to sleep now, and so, so I, I leave the room up there, and uh, they had to be loud, because I'm deaf, I mean, so, so I hear them, so it's my job to quiet them down, so I got back there, okay, guys, time to be quiet. Time to go to sleep. What, what do little kids do after grandpa does that? I mean they start giggling and you walk out and so hear them a second time and I, I'm not a screamer. I go back in a third time and, and I go like, okay guys, it's time to go to sleep. It's about as loud as I get, I'm not a screamer, and so me and their little eyes begin to bug out. They knew they'd crossed a line right there. And uh, I just lost my patience. Now, I'm sure I'm the only grandfather and father in here who loses their patience on occasion. I mean, I don't want to be that guy. But it happens. I fail. I struggle. It's the story of a grandmother. It's a great story. Um, she put her grandchildren to bed, and uh, she changed it to some old slacks, a droopy blouse that was paint stained, uh, proceeded to wash her hair, take her makeup off. She heard her grandkids get more and more rambunctious. Her patience finally grew thin. She threw the door open with a towel wrapped around her. had no makeup. She stormed into the room. She put them back to bed with a stern warning. As she left the room, her three-year-old granddaughter was under the covers, trembling, and said, Who was that person? (laughs) In spite of all of our efforts to walk with Christ, honor Christ, as redeemed men and women, we still struggle. So what do we do? What do we do? Let me stop for a second. Some of you are struggling right now in your marriage. And some of you are struggling in friendships and relationships with brothers and sisters in Christ. And some of you are struggling with maybe me as a church leader. Some of you are struggling with others, and part of the problem is you're not redeemed. You're not redeemed. You know about Christ, but you've never truly come to Christ as far as accepting the forgiveness he offers. And the issue is not fixing your marriage and fixing your friendships, the issue is your heart. And so I would be remiss if I didn't tell you the foundation to everything we're talking about is you knowing Christ as your personal Savior, trusting Him for the forgiveness of your sins, and then you're a new creature in Christ, old things pass away, you can live in the righteousness that's on the screen before you, and right standing, living rightly before God, not based on your strength, but based upon His grace. And that's how you become a restored, a redeemed man and woman. And so we look at that. So you struggle like I struggle. We have this redemption, but we battle. And so uh, what's the solution to that? The solution to that, uh, uh, this is the struggle Paul had. I have that same struggle, the good I want to do, I don't do, et cetera. Uh, so here's a solution. We need to be renewed. Not only do we need to be redeemed, we need to be renewed. We need to be renewed. So uh, we've been redeemed, but daily I need to be renewed. Romans twelve one and 2 says this. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Those are two of the first verses I ever memorized in a spiritual life right there, because I recognize the importance of me daily being a living sacrifice to Christ. And so for me to be the husband that Bev needs me to be, I need to renew myself daily. Not daily, but hourly. Not hourly, but sometimes by the minute. And so, you know, I don't know how you do that. I am a creature of habit. I'm a creature of habit. Some of you think I'm weird because of that, and that's okay. I think you're weird because you're not. Okay. (laughs) But I'm a creature of it. I go home the same way every day. I mean, I'm just... So for years, uh, when I would leave this place, I would go play basketball at at the boys' club. 18 years, I played basketball. So there's an Albertsons next... It used to be Albertsons, the boys' club over there. I'd turn my radio off at Albertsons, and I'd pray, God, help me to be a man who ministers to the guys I'm going to be with, and uh, help me to play really well today. No, I didn't say that. And, and, and then, then for years, we lived in the same house just off of Marlinwood over here. And so at the stop sign, uh, there's a stop sign at the corner of Marlinwood and Astor. I'd turn my radio off, and, and I would pray. If you go to that stop sign today in the corner of Astor and Marlinwood, you're going to see Gary DeSaville's junk all over that, that, that stop sign. Because I would turn it off, and I would say, God, thank you for the places you put me today, the people I'm with. I pray for them. Now, would you help me to be a husband to Bev and a father to my kids? And now we live at the end of 31st Street. So when I start to smell Bush's chicken, <laughs> first of all, I start to salivate because I'm trying to lose weight and I can't eat Bush's chicken. and I love Bush's chicken. So, uh, but, but when I get there, I turn the radio off every time and it's a reminder to me to pray. Mom and dad are at the house. Bev's at the house. God, would you help me to forget about the cares of here and know what to share with my bride and, and then help me to be the husband and, and uh, son I need to be to them? So, that, that's, those are simple ways that I renew myself. Now, you, you've got uh, I, my, my dear friend that I lived with, he prays all the time. Now, Ann Murkison, who was best mentor, we, we'd be driving along. You remember what Ann would do? We'd be driving along, and Ann would just break out, pray. Just break out, pray. She'd see something on the, on the side of the road, or maybe an ambulance coming. Every time the ambulance came, she prayed. Prayed for who, who was in there or who was, they were gone to get. And, and, and she taught us how to renew ourselves all, all the time. And so I don't know how you do it. The biggest problem with a living sacrifice, Joel, Solstead, Joel Stoll said, was that living sacrifices can crawl off the altar. I do it and you do it. I need to be renewed daily. So biblical manhood and womanhood, the foundation is redemption, being redeemed. Continual renewal is the way we live it. Now, I'm going to share with you the three points that I want to make. I've got 10 minutes left. I've got three points I want to make. We, th- this is specific. I, I want to talk to men. Okay. I want to talk to men? We've got the baseline established. Men, we are designed by God to be protectors, providers, and pursuers. Protectors, providers, pursuers. Ladies, I'm not saying, like, hear me clearly, I, I, I recognize you know, well, it's just a stereotype. I'm not saying that. You, too, protect, you provide, and you pursue at times. But by and large, this is the way God has made us. So man as protector. Man is protected. It starts when we're little boys. It started in the garden. God is the protector of Adam and Eve in the garden. It, that's where it starts. In the garden, uh, He was the protector, the provider, the pursuer of Adam and Eve. And uh, th- that's the reality. The shattered image of God shattered these things. Men, since we were little boys, our culture, our dads have told us that, that we are to be this way. Where I had two sisters. So my dad would always tell me, Gary, you, you watch after your sisters, Gary, you protect your sisters. My dad would say, you never, ever, ever, you never, what? Hit a woman. Ever. Real man doesn't do that. I mean, we are made, we are physiologically bigger, typically. Not all the time. I mean, the reason I go to the gym, Bev used to show off her bicep It was twice the size of mine. Many of you have seen that over the years. I mean, she does. She says she gets it from brushing the hair because she doesn't work out. I mean, there, there are women who are physiologically stronger than men. Uh, look at this lady. I mean, she was the number one rated bodybuilder in America last year. She could bench press me. I wouldn't go around that lady. I mean, I'm going to get it off of there because of way he looks. But I mean, I, it, that's, not, that's not the norm, is it? That's not the norm. No, normally, men are bigger and stronger. That's the way God has made us. We are the protectors. What kind of man would I be if tonight we hear a noise in the living room, I pop Bev in the ribs and say, hey, babe, would you go check that out? I mean, really, what kind of man would I be? Now, I'll let you in a little secret, okay? You could break into our house tonight, and we wouldn't hear you. Okay? I wear hearing aids. They come out when I go to bed. I also snore. Bev puts earplugs in. You could break in our house. Nobody's ever going to hear you. Okay? But, but we as men are designed to be protectors. I mean, that's part of who we are. That's part of our nature. That's part of the way God has made us. And uh, it, it goes all the way back to God being the provider. Here's the problem, though. Through the fall, what took place is the image of God and man was shattered, and so we pervert our ability to protect. And, and you look at our nation, it happens. We're to protect physically, we're to protect emotionally. But, but it became perverted. All the way back in Genesis, it's perverted. You go to Genesis chapter 4, Cain kills Abel. He murders him. It's perverted. You go to the end of Genesis 4, there's a guy called Lamech. Somebody tries to kill him. Lamech says, I killed him, and if anybody tries to avenge that, I'll take him out 77 times. And so we see anger in man. We see, we see abuse in man. And, and not all men, believe me, not all men, but we see it. We see that which is good has been perverted in many ways. You go to Genesis 19, there are two men that show up at Lot's house and the men of the city come knocking on the door. They want those two guys sexually, they want men. And so what happens is Lot says, here are my two virgin daughters, take them instead. And I look at that and say, that's not, that, 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 I, I, who could do that? And commentary as well, that's ancient Near East King Hospitality. I say, Lot, go throw yourself on the spear, don't send your daughters out there. And so what we see is perverted. Read the book of Judges. There's a woman who's cut up in the 12 pieces. All 12 her body parts are sent to the 12 tribes of Israel. I mean, we have messed up. One in three women have been victims of some form of physical violence by a partner within their lifetime. This is in America. On a typical day, there are more than 20,000 phone calls placed to domestic violence hotlines. One in five women in the United States has been raped in their lifetime. Um, 72% of all murder suicides involve an intimate partner, 94 partner 94% partner. of the victims are female 1 in 15 children are exposed to domestic violence every year you see as protectors we can easily become abusers because of the destruction of the, or the, the shattering of the image of God within us and God has called us to be protectors. He's called to protect the women in our lives, our Christian sisters, the, the people with the Imago Day. It doesn't have to be a sister. There was a man killed in my hometown, Marrero, Louisiana, yesterday. He was a police officer. He saw a man shooting at a woman in a car. He jumped out to protect the woman. The man turned around, shot him in the head, and murdered him. He's got a one-year-old son and a five-year-old daughter. And so I look at that and say, that man was the Imago Day. He was protecting the image of God in that woman and lost his life in the middle of it. I pray for his family. And so here's the battle. We can shatter anything that has been good if we're not careful, if we're not redeemed and renewed. And we need to protect our family emotionally. If you've been here a while, you know a story uh, about a fourth year here. There used to be a Walmart inside where the Scott and White building is right over here. And uh, I was walking into Walmart, Uh, coming out of Walmart was a dad and his four or five-year-old son. And I don't know what happened inside that Walmart, but I'll never forget the words I heard coming out of that man's mouth to that boy. He said, I wish you'd never been born. You're called to protect, not abuse. And there are godly men in this room who protect their wives and their kids and their Christian sisters. If you got one of those guys next to you, this is a great time to reach over and give him a hug, and you can kiss him right now in church. Last time you kissed in church was your wedding. <laughs> go ahead, give him a hug. You got a dad here who protects and leads your family. Do you want you, you go stand, give him a hug. I mean, it's okay. I mean, if he's doing that, you would be grateful for that man. And guys, as men, let, let's let's not let's do what God has called us to do. We are to be like Christ is to the church. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for Sacrificial responsibility. Secondly, we're not only to be protectors, we are to be providers. The curse given to Adam in Genesis chapter 3, if you look at it very carefully, it has to do with work. The curse to woman had to do with bearing children. The curse to man is work. This is not a commentary on should women work, not work. It's a commentary on the curse given to man who is made to work. And it says in verse 18, both thorns and thistles, it shall grow for you regarding the soil. And you shall eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your brow. You shall eat bread till you return to the ground because from it you were taken and from it you will return. And what the scriptures are teaching there is that work took place before the fall. If you look at Genesis 2.15, they were given the command to cultivate the garden. They worked in the garden in total perfection. There were things to do, cultivate. But after the fall, work became labor work became labor. That's what he's saying. And now you've got thorns and thistles to deal with, you've got issues to deal with, and it's just not the way it used to be, and it's not the way God made it to be. But sin came into the world, it was shattered, and so now there is a struggle. And so man as provider, and the culture speaks to us as men. The culture says, hey, a real man does this for his family. A real man provides, you know, this kind of car. A real man provides this kind of vacation. A real man provides this kind of house. A real man provides, you fill in the blank, whatever it is. And so the result is we as men either find our significance through work or we measure our worth through work. And our identity should be in Christ, in Christ alone. But it's a struggle. We went to camp one time. Uh, We were speaking, Bev and I, at Pine Cove, the ground rules for the week is, men, you cannot tell another person what you do for a living. You try and be around a bunch of dudes for a week and not talk about what they do. We so identify with what we do, we get our significance, security, and our worth from it, and our security, significance, and worth is because we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. That's what it has to do with this. It's not what I do, it's who I am in Jesus. Jesus. And so the point is, we are responsible to provide. However that takes place, we are responsible to provide. How do restored men provide, Redeemed men provide? First of all, you recognize the true provider as God. In the garden, God was the one who provided. And so we recognize we don't worry about what we're going to eat, drink, wear. The Gentiles do these things. The Heavenly Father knows what you need. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Everything shall be added unto you, so don't worry about tomorrow. If you're a man and you're always worried about tomorrow, he says, trust me, God is the provider. Secondly, a restored, redeemed man who, who is renewed recognizes he works not for Master, but he works for the master. So when you go and punch that time clock or check in or open the door for that business or show up to take care of patients, whatever it is you do, you do it heartily as unto the Lord. And so we are those who protect, we are those who provide. Uh, Finally, the last blank on there, I'm not going to go to it on the screen because I've got a video in between I want to conclude with. We are to pursue. We're to pursue. In 1 Corinthians 11.3, it says, God is ahead of Christ, Christ is ahead of man, man's ahead of woman. That has nothing to do with superiority and inferiority. It says, God is ahead of Christ, they are one. It has to do with functional position. And so I am in no way, not saying I'm superior to Bev because I'm a man and she's a woman, what that scripture is saying, headship, that is kephalae, the Greek word that's used there, is that I am to function as God the Father functions with Christ, and Christ with God the Father, Bev and I are to function. I've been given the responsibility of headship within my family, 1 Corinthians 11.3. And also it says in 1 Peter 3, 7, Husbands, live with their wives in an understanding way as with a weak vessel, granting her honor as a fellow heir of grace, so your prayers may not be hindered. I'm supposed to have a Ph.D. in Bevology. Okay? I'm to know this woman inside and out. What she loves, what she hates, what makes her laugh, what makes her cry. I am to be a student of my wife every day of my life. And uh, because she's changing all the time, it means I'm always a student. Always. And I love that about her. I love that about her. So here's how I want to conclude. The last thing on the outline, um, the imago day. be a man who resembles the perfect man. So as we prepare for this and staff every week, we talk about uh, what are some examples of this in our body? And uh, Dave Tate, our senior high pastor, said, you know L.B. Vargas' story? I said, no, I, I've met L.B., but I don't know a story. He's a 26-year-old single man he says, you know, this will talk, speak to our singles and also show how a man can protect, provide, and pursue within his own family. Elby, are you here this hour? He was here last hour. I don't know if he came back this hour. You're out there somewhere, bro? So you'll see his picture when you see him in the hallways today or the next few weeks. He's working with our youth right now. Um, you, could, you can pat him on the back and, and thank God for his testimony. Here's LB Vargas, 26 years old and single.
2: My name is Elby Vargas and uh, I grew up not knowing my father Um, just early in my life um, just through um, alcohol and just being abusive he he walked away from my mom my family growing up without a father uh, really uh, impacted me in a lot of ways growing up Um, I didn't have many pictures of what manhood looked like growing up I had other men in my life I had uh, two older brothers my mom had uh, boyfriends that that she had throughout my life, but none of those painted a picture to me of what manhood was supposed to look like. Um, And so growing up, it wasn't until I was at an older age where um, I actually realized that, you know, me not having a father um, impacted me in several ways um, growing up. So when I think of uh, manhood restored, think of uh, a man who loves God, a man who's willing to um, love his family, love his, love his kids, love his wife. And also too as well just uh, being a spiritual leader in his home. Um, and whether that's um, you know, just praying for his family, leading his family, um, whether it's in, in a Bible study or something, uh, but somebody who has leadership and somebody who has a vision for his family and somebody um, you know, who, who loves his family, loves his kids, loves his wife, this is Christ love the church. my nephew didn't really have a, a stable environment, place um, with his family. Um, and so, you know, m- my mom had him for about a year. She pitched out the idea to me if I wanted to take my nephew, Christopher Hymason. Honestly, it didn't, it didn't take me too much time to think about it. Being this role model and being this person to him uh, was, was somebody that he needed in his life. And honestly, for me at 26, I mean, this is something that, that I've been preparing myself for once you know, I get married, once I you know, have a family and stuff like that. And so I, I, would, I, was, I would always tell myself that I think it's something that I'm ready for. And most importantly, this is what my nephew needed in his life because I know how it feels like in, to grow up without a father, to grow up without um, a man in your life who, who loves you and wants to show you what it means it looks like to be a father. And just seeing that, seeing that growth in him um, that's slowly happening um, is just a blessing to see. And it's a blessing just to, see, just to know that, you know, I'm responsible for this person. I'm responsible in building him up into the man God
0: wants him to be. Redeemed, renewed, protector, provider, pursuer. L.B. Vargas. Amen. So, guys, it's not about the pickup we drive. It's not about being able to throw a ball. It's not being able to have a certain handicap in the golf course. It's not about being able to hunt and fish. It's not being able to bench press 300 pounds. It's about being a man who imitates the perfect man, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, for that privilege. We honor you. We love you. We adore you. And we pray in your name. Amen. Bless you.